Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. Leaders and uh, pouring into them, and our hearts was refreshed as a result of it. We're so delighted to have them in service with us this morning, and he will be here with us in our evening service. Former pastor from the state of Texas, district secretary, district superintendent. He's wore several hats and just doing a tremendous job. Great spirit and presence of the Lord that is upon him. We're so glad that he's with us today. Would you put your hands down? Praise the name of the Lord. Would you lift praise to him right now? Jesus, we bless your name. We praise your name, Lord. We're so glad that we're in your presence. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. We often say, aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord? But that shouldn't be just a trite statement. There ought to be an appreciation that just comes from the deep of our heart. Some of us can remember where we were when He found us. And oh, what a world of change has taken place. That we're in His kingdom and we're in a place like we're at today. Amen. I'm so thankful for the presence of the Lord. I'm going to let you be seated for a moment. Amen. Just great, great to be with you. We were privileged a few years ago to be here in service, and uh, we're honored that we would be asked to come back and participate in the leadership weekend and also have the opportunity to to be in service with you. Amen. We appreciate your good pastor and his wife. Amen. Hallelujah. I pastored a two or three churches, actually three churches, and I don't know that I was that great of a pastor. I'll just be honest with you. But boy, when I get around a guy like your pastor, I think, now there's a guy that knows how to be a pastor. He's he's patient. He's kind. I can be a little bit impatient sometimes. I get a little quick, you know, and, and move right past the obvious. Amen. But you've got a man of God that, that loves you, Loves the kingdom. Amen. And I, I just appreciate when I see a pastor step up like he just did a while ago and make sure that you make that transcendence from that normal place that you live, if I could say it that way, to step into the realm of the Spirit. Amen. I see a pastor sometimes as, a, as kind of a super conscience for the church. And, and sometimes we can get going right along and we're oblivious to what God would want to do in our lives. And a pastor says, whoa, hang on, hold on a minute. There's other things that are real important here, and you need to get plugged in. Aren't you glad for a man of God that is constantly plugging you in, amen, to the things of God, amen? And they are the consummate host as well. They have fed us, and I really appreciate it. That's kind of an inside joke here for a moment, but I'll let you in on the joke about this. I get to break the rules, and I love it. Amen. Thank you, Brother and Sister Borders. Amen. For the added benefits. Praise God. It's great to see Brother Brandon Border here and his wife. and appreciate what you're doing. Amen. Going to the far-flung corners of the world to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. They were in service at Eastview where we attend church when we're not out and did a great job. It's great to see them here today. And i got to give honor to Brother Fuller. I'm actually parked in a motorhome behind the church he started in Noble. 
and to see, and I've had opportunity to minister there in the past, and I, I just, my hat's off to somebody that would go and pioneer a work as he's done and leave it in such great shape for the future. Amen. Praise God. Are you ready to hear the word of the Lord? Do you believe that the word of God really is his word and it is able to transform your circumstance and your situation? I've read some books that move me at times, but I want to tell you something. There's nothing to compare to the power, the potential of the Word of God when it goes forth under unction of His Spirit. Amen. And when it's received in faith, it literally can change the whole of the landscape of your life. Amen. Never discount one service that you come to and you hear the Word of the Lord because it can be a service that changes the whole trajectory of your life. And even beyond your life, I, I think about my dear little mother, 84 years old. 54 years ago, she walked into a Pentecostal church for the first time. She heard the word of the Lord, and something got a hold of her heart. I talked about, I think, last time I was here, but I, I can't help but think about the fact today she has three sons that are standing in pulpits preaching the word of the Lord. She has, I don't know, 14, 15 grandkids that are in a church this, this today and then great-grandkids, one person walking into one service, uh, making a determination that they would respond to the Word of God, has a cascading effect through the generations. Now, I don't know where you might be on that, on that continuum. You may be the first in your family to come to God. But listen, understand something. You could be the vital link uh, that could make a difference in multiplied people's lives and in their eternities. That's the kind of potential there is in the house of God today. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If you don't mind standing with me, I will read just one verse of Scripture. I promise I'll have more. In fact, I think of the media people, when they saw my list of Scripture, they're thinking, oh, no, we're going to be here till 2 in the afternoon. Not, not so, I promise. Amen. Psalms chapter 74 and verse 16. And I am so grateful to have my wife with me. Amen. She goes with me almost everywhere I go. I even buy extra plane tickets when I'm not supposed to so she can go with me. Amen. Because I just like having her around. I can make coffee, but when she makes it, it's better. She puts the same sweet and low in it. She puts the same cream, but it's just better. Amen. Every, all the guys say, maybe you, that's why you don't get coffee, some of you. Amen. Psalms chapter 74 and 16. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. Let me read that one more time. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. I want to preach for a little while on this thought. He owns the night. He owns the night. And I think you know who the, God, the he I'm speaking of is. It's none other than God. God owns the night. Would you lift your voice toward heaven right now? God, I'm asking even now that your spirit would come into this place. Anoint lips of clay, God. Give understanding, I pray. Help me to express what you've given unto me. Help your people to receive it, God. Let them mix it with faith in their heart. Let it accomplish all that you desire. And we pray these things in, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. I have to mention this. Your pastor, I think, was trying to make me feel real comfortable. Knowing I'm from Wichita Falls area, Burke Burnett, he told me, he said, yeah, there's a chance of rain. There's even a chance of tornadoes overnight. 
I thought about that about 11 and about 3 when that motorhome started rocking in the wind. It's a warm feeling, Brother Borders. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Every pa parent can testify to having been called from your bed in the middle of the night, sometimes a real warm bed on a real cold night, and you were called from your bed because of the cry of a child who had become afraid of the dark. It could have been clothes hanging in a closet, the doors open, and a sleeve just gets caught in the breeze of the heater or the air conditioner as it kicks on. But all of a sudden, it takes on a menacing form, and that child becomes frightened. Or it could have been the sound of ice dropping in the ice maker that became the boogeyman in the middle of the night. I have a vivid childhood memory of the midnight walker. In the middle of the night, I would hear his approaching steps as he came down the hallway toward my room. Step after step, he was closing in on me. I just knew I was facing certain doom. I just knew at any moment that door was going to creak open and it would be the end. Now, I know you're as relieved as I am that I survived. Amen. And I'm here today. Amen. And I later found out that the Midnight Walker was actually the creation of my imagination, working in combination with some poorly insulated metal ductwork under the hallway that would pop as it cooled down after the heater went off. Now, you can chalk the Midnight Walker up to my childhood imagination, but I don't think we ever lose our fear of the night. We should never totally lose our fear, I would say. In fact, as we mature, we come to understand that the night is to be feared for many reasons. You can't see a hole or a trip hazard in a darkened landscape. That becomes even more important as you grow older. Darkness allows danger to get closer to you without you being aware of it. I think you'll agree it's easier to see a snake in the daylight than it is in the dark. And we also know that people with evil intent use darkness to cover their activities. And could I tell you that it's often in the dark of night when we lay upon our bed that our imagination can begin to take us down paths that lead to anxiety, that lead to insomnia. And we can find ourselves in a state of mind in the dark like David found himself in in Psalm 6 and 6 when he said, I'm weary with all my groaning. All the night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. You know, spiritually speaking, we can find ourselves at times in a night that seems to linger for days without end. We find ourselves anxious. We're fearful. We wonder if the sun will ever shine again. And in that kind of a night, we even wonder where God is and if He happens to even know where we might be. Now, Bible scholars are uncertain of the historical setting of Psalm 74 from which I read a text but it's obvious that Israel is in a, a very troublesome time. The chapter opens with the first portion of that chapter describing an apparent destruction of the temple and even perhaps some synagogues by the enemies of Israel. And the writer voices the questions that's on Israel's collective lips. Questions like, where's God at in all of this? Why has God abandoned us? It's the same kind of questions that we ask when we find ourselves in the middle of a murky midnight. 
But then, after having voiced those questions, uh, it's as if the writer shakes himself loose from the question of where is God is at. Is, is at. Uh, and, and instead, he, he answers the question of what do I know about the God I serve? And then most importantly, he begins to recount all the history of his experiences and his knowledge of God. And that is where his perspective of his situation changes. Could I say from the outset today, it doesn't matter what challenge you are facing. It doesn't matter how lonely and how God-forsaken you might feel. The answer out of your dilemma is not just to wallow in your dilemma, but it's to stop and focus on the one who has delivered you out of every dilemma in your past. It's to stop and focus upon the greatness of the God that you serve. It's to begin to recount the testimonies of the times in your life that God has made made a difference. He's made a way when nobody else could make a way. I can't promise you that your night's going to be over in short order. You could be in the dark of your circumstance for some time just like Job was. It could be that God is testing you. Or it could be that God's got something even grander in mind. It might even be that He's taunting the enemy and He's getting Himself glory as you triumph in the test. But whatever God's greater purpose is, when you're filled with unanswered questions concerning where God is in the midst of your night, remember, don't forget what you know about Him. Don't allow the enemy to blank your memory as it was. Don't forget that God is able. He's done it before. He can do it again. That's what the psalmist did in Psalm 74 in the darkest circumstances that he did not understand. He began to recount what he knew about his God. Verse 12, he said, For God is my King of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. He said, He's got a record. He has provided salvation time and time again in the past. He said, Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the head of dragons in the waters. Thou breakest the head of Levithan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Thou didst cleave the fountain and the flood. Thou driest up mighty rivers. And then he comes to verse 16. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. The day is thine, the night also is thine. He's speaking of God's creation. He's saying, God, you have mastery over the literal day and night. But remember the context he is speaking in. Israel is in a time of great trouble as a nation. The enemy from all appearances is beating their brains out. It's midnight, but David begins to recount God's dominance of everything, including the night. And I'm here this morning to remind you of something that's very easy to forget when you're surrounded by the dark. God owns your nights as well as your days. He is not just God Almighty when the sun is shining. He is not just God Almighty when the roses are blooming. But He is the Almighty when you're in the inky darkness of the fish's belly in the deepest part of the sea. He owns your circumstances regardless of where you are and regardless of what those circumstances are. He owns the night. And your path 
out of your midnight begins with remembering that God owns the night. And you progress on that path out of the midnight by remembering what He has done in your past. And when you do, you're going to have the same testimony that David did in Psalms 37-25 when he said, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'm 61 years old and I see a few other folks in here that's got signs of having a few miles on you. And I think that you could join with me and you could testify to the fact that God has never forsaken. I can recount places on the road behind me where it seemed I was at an impossible point and there was no way out. But what do you know? God made a way out of no way. And I stand before you praising Him for what He's done, for deliverance given, for victories won. Oh, God has made a way. Don't you forget. Don't you forget God in the middle of the night. The U.S. Army Rangers have a peculiar slogan. It's, we own the night. It's kind of got a little bravado to it. We own the night. It speaks of their night vision capabilities. And that ability to see and attack at night gives them a decided advantage over their enemies. Now, you and I don't have the ability to see in our night as if it were day. But if we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we have one that can see what we can't. And we, ha- we can lean on Him with confidence when we remember that the night He owns. Amen. He owns it. We need to remind ourselves that God has done some of His most awesome work in the middle of the night. Generations of slavery in Egypt was weighing down on Israel like a night without stars. And it seemed every attempt they made to escape their situation just led to a worsening of their circumstance. Moses' repeated request to Pharaoh for them to be released was denied time after time. But beyond their perception, here's what God was going to do in the night. In Exodus 12, 29, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne until the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks, your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. Do you remember what it was like to be enslaved by sin? Do you remember what it was like to wish yourself free from condemnation? Do you remember what it was like to wallow your pillow up and cry tears knowing that your circumstance had you bound, enslaved, and it seemed like there was no way out? In fact, as you lamented your circumstance, you had an enemy that mocked you and told you, this is what you will always be. Your future will never be different than that. You'll never go free. But aren't you glad that there was somebody else listening to your midnight cry and he made a way when there seemed to be no way and in your midnight God became your deliverer in your midnight he orchestrated your exodus in a night's time you found out for the very first time that God owns your night 
Well, I'm here to remind you today, the one who owns your night when you first came to him, past tense, still owns your night, present tense. And he'll still own your night in a future situation. You may have all things going your way today, but we know enough about life and we know enough about the enemy to know that we'll face some midnights at one time or another. But regardless of whether you're in the middle of a midnight now or there's one in your future, don't you forget that you serve a God who owns the night. Israel was fresh out of Egypt's bondage just a few days when Pharaoh decided, you know what, I shouldn't have let them go. And he sends his army to recapture them. And that army approaches, it's an overwhelming force, it approaches Israel from behind. The Egyptians believe they have Israel in an inescapable trap. The Red Sea is before them. There's mountains on either side of them. The Egyptian army's coming up from the rear. It appears to be the perfect killing field. And Egypt pitches her tents for the night, anticipating a great victory in the morning. How soon they had forgotten that the God of Israel works the night shift too. Amen? Because with nightfall, God set a pillar of cloud between Israel and Egypt, and then He put a pillar of fire on the side of the pillar of cloud that gave Israel some light, and He began to move in their behalf. And God did what God could only do. In Exodus 14.21, Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them at their right hand, at their left, and the Egyptians, what were they thinking? They pursued them into the midst of God's deliverance and went in after them into the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. Verse 27, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Aren't you glad that you've got a God that works the night shift? Aren't you glad that you've got a God when you find yourself in the murkiness of midnight in the dilemma of the dark? You've got a God who is a master of that situation as well as any other. And could I tell somebody here today that's been delivered from something in your past and the enemy of your soul comes around trying to ensnare you in the, the very thing that you were delivered from. Look at what God did for Israel. Delivered out of Egypt's bondage. Egypt follows them trying to take them back into bondage. I want to tell you, don't you forget that the same God who was able to deliver Egypt out of Egypt, uh, Israel out of Egypt and then take them through the Red Sea, not only can He deliver deliver you out of your addiction. Not only can He deliver you out of a life of sin, but He can protect you and He can deliver you every time the enemy stalks you and tries to destroy you. You can depend on Him. He owns the night. Amen. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He has promised you a way of escape. Amen. In 2 Kings 18, Assyria's overwhelming army had laid siege to Jerusalem. That was bad enough, but to add insult to injury, the king of Assyria sent his representative, Rabshakeh, to the walls of the city with a message that he loudly proclaimed in the language of the people of the city. 
he began to tell them, he began to boast of all the other cities and their gods that the army of Assyria had destroyed. And then he went on to say, you're next. You're next. He even went so far as to say that Jehovah has sent them to destroy Judah. Did you get that? He not only says, we defeated all these other gods, but we were commissioned by your God to come and destroy you. I want to tell you something. That is a common trick of the enemy. Don't you be taken in by it. The enemy would love nothing more for you to think that God has determined to set his face against you and that you have made so many errors or so many mistakes that God is done with you. Anybody ever heard that line before? That's a common line that the enemy uses against the people of God. But I'm here to tell you the Word of God's clear. God's for you. He's not against you. Why would God invest all of Himself in flesh? Come and die on Calvary's tree. Why would He allow you to be born again of water and spirit only to walk away from you when you made some small error along the way? Oh no, I want to talk to you about a God that's full of mercy. I want to talk to you about a God that's full of great care. He loves you and He desires for you to be victorious. I don't know if you sing the song around here, but I love the words, of, the lyrics of a song. It says, Lord, I know that you're for me. I know you're for me. I know that you'll never forsake me in my weakness. And it goes on to describe God's approach to us with such patience and such mercy. God, write it on our hearts today. You're for us. You're for us. So just to be sure that Judah had gotten the message that Rabshakeh had delivered to the walls, the king of Assyria sent a follow-up letter to King Hezekiah, king of Judah. And that letter had all the threats. It had all the boast in it. And Hezekiah did two strategic things in response to the receipt of that letter. And they're things that you and I would do well to take a lesson from. The first thing he did was he sent word to the prophet. He said, I want you to know what's going on here. And then secondly, he went to the house of God and he spread that letter out on the altar before the Lord. And he prayed. And here's what he said, 2 Kings 19. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, read it. He went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Verse 17, of a truth, Lord, the king of Assyria has destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. God heard the trash talk of the enemy and He sent Isaiah with a response in verse 32. He said, Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a bank against it. But by the way that he came, by the same way shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. That's 185,000 killed 
in one night. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I always get tickled when I read that. 185,000 woke up dead. Obviously, some of them survived and were able to count the bodies that were laying around, and the remainder of that army fled away from Jerusalem. The king of Assyria thought he would easily destroy Judah, but the one who owns the night said, Not so quick, buddy. Not so quick. I've got a say in this situation. I'm the one that's going to determine the outcome. The drama had all the appearances of a Greek tragedy. They always end in tragedy. But then God steps on the stage, and the end of the story is God owns the night again. I don't wear it out, but God's got this thing of working in the night down. The book of Esther describes a dark night in Persia. Haman had concocted a plan to destroy the Jews. It was signed and sealed and delivered with the irrevocable stamp of the king's signet, and it was about to be executed. No pun intended, or maybe so. Haman even had some gallows constructed in his front courtyard upon which he was going to hang a Jew that he loathed so much, a man named Mordecai, who unknown to him, isn't it funny how things work out, Unknown to him, Mordecai was an uncle of the queen, Queen Esther. But on the night of the gallows being constructed, on the night when the enemy was planning the destruction of Mordecai, something happened that was totally unexpected by Haman. Esther 6 and 1 says, On that night could not the king sleep. And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told Bethania and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity has been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. The king said, you're telling me that there was an assassination attempt on my life and this Mordecai fella is the one that told what was going on and rescued me and nothing's been done to reward him? Oh, king, that's correct. The record reflects no reward for this one that has served you in such a manner. And in a desire to show Mordecai great honor, he wants a dignitary to lead a procession through the city. He wants it to be proclaimed what a great guy Mordecai is. And what do you know? How handy was it that Haman came through the gate or through the king's door into the courtroom that morning and he just happened to be one of the high and mighty of the kingdom at that particular point. And he was selected to lead Mordecai around on a royal steed with the king's royal robes with this proclamation. This is what happens to the one that the king desires to honor over and over again. Do you think maybe he was getting a sense that things were going to go awry? But I'll tell you this, I don't think he had a clue just how awry they would go. Later in a private banquet with Haman in attendance, Queen Esther reveals to the king what Haman has plotted. His plot to destroy the Jews of which she is one. Needless to say, the king is infuriated. He storms out of the room, out into the garden, just to maybe clear his head or calm down a little bit. And Haman falls onto the couch to plead for his life where Esther is seated. 
And at the most inopportune time, the king steps back into the room and sees Haman on the couch with the queen, and he thinks the worst. And he said, he's going to assault her right here in my very presence. And they put a hood on his head. And in the Persian Empire, when they put a hood on your head, that meant execution time. And they let him out. And then one of the servants informed the king about the gallows that Haman had ordered, built in his own front yard. And the king said, you hang Haman on those gallows. And you give Haman's house to Mordecai. Don't you love it when God hangs the devil in his own front yard? Amen. The king, uh, king then gave the Jews permission to defend themselves. And they won a great victory over their enemies. And God owned the night again. Child of God, you've served the Lord faithfully. But sometimes you find yourself in a time of trouble. You find circumstances that are bewildering have beset you. You feel as if you're walking in the dark and you wonder, has God even noticed that I've been faithful in the past? Does He even remember that I have a relationship with Him? Does He even know where I am in the middle of the night? I want you to be assured your service to Him has not been forgotten. Your faith in Him has not been folly. Your, Your trust and dependence on Him has not been a fruitless effort. But God always remembers His own and He always delivers. Sometimes it feels like it's at the last moment but he always does things right in the right time so when you're in your darkest night don't you despair don't you despair because God has not lost track of you I remember hearing brother Tommy Kraft tell the story some some of these guys work West Texas they may know about a town called Ira Ann anybody know that name Ira Ann one hand it's very remote only one person knew where it was. And he is pastoring a church. Brother Kraft is pastoring a church there. And he got so desperate, it seemed like God had forgotten him, that he said he literally went into the church and he laid a map out of the state. And he pointed to the town and he said, God, just in case you forgot where I am, right here is where I'm at. We can feel that way sometime. But God has never abandoned his own. Amen. Stand with me if you would. If nothing else, I want you to come away today knowing that God owning the night is His standard practice. It's His SOP. In Acts chapter 5, the disciples had been thrown in prison. But verse 19 says, The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth, and God once again owned the night. Or how about Acts 12 when Peter finds himself on what is supposed to be the final night before his execution the next day. When Herod would have brought him forth, Acts 12 and 6 says, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains, keepers before the doors. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him. A light shined into the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, said, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And he led him out of the cell block out of the prison, out the gate of the city unto freedom. And God once again proved that He owned the night. Or what of Acts 16 when Paul and Silas find themselves in stocks and in a deep 
cell in the dungeon of the prison. And they begin to pray and sing praises unto God. And suddenly God shows up with an earthquake in His luggage and proves once again that He owns the night and sets them and the captives free. Or what of Acts 27? When Paul's fellow captives on board a ship in a storm have given up any hope, and he declares in verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I've served. And as Paul Harvey used to say, and here's the rest of the story, God owned the night again. He owned the night again. Hey, child of God, if you're in a midnight, it's time for you to execute a Psalm 74 strategy. You've already told God all your woes and all your lamentations, all the unknowns of your midnight. But why don't you do what the psalmist did in 74 when he said, you know what? All that's bad. And I could get focused on that. But I'm going to stop and I'm going to remember all the times that God has delivered me before all the times that He's owned my midnights in the past. And I'm going to praise Him for that. And it was in the recounting, it was in the praising of God for His previous deliverances that He found the way forward out of His present dilemma. Could I suggest today that the thing you and I ought to do is we ought to walk out of a pew and make our way to an altar? We've already told God about our problem. Why don't we come and begin to worship Him and begin to proclaim His goodness to us? Why don't we tell Him about the time He saved us out of sin? All the past deliverances that He has worked in our life. How about we come to Him and say, God, I know You've owned the night in the past, and I believe that You're going to own them in my future as well. I'm praising you for what you've done. I'm praising you for what you're going to do. I'm praising you, God. You're going to release faith into your present situation. When you began to worship God for what He's done, what you're saying to God is, God, I believe that you've got this situation under control as well. I've needed victory in the past and you've given me victory. I need it right now in the present and I believe that you're going to give it to me. I'm going to praise you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, come on. He's the one who owns the night every time. Every time he owns the night in Jesus' name. You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located at 3221 North Porter Avenue in Norman, Oklahoma. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.apostolicworship.com. You can call us at 405-329-1285 or you can email us at info at apostolicworship.com. We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.